Another week of Behind the Lens as we kick off the second quarter of 2022. Wow. Uh, I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens, below the line with the movers, the shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the writers, the directors, the actors, the cinematographers, the production designers, costume designers, composers, sound editors, sound mixers, uh, film editors, we authors, we talk to them all. And boy, oh boy, we've got a show today that I've been waiting for, and our first guest is already on hold right now. Um, we're going to spend the whole day talking about a sci-fi film called Madeline's. Uh, I'm going to let our first guest, when I bring him on here, tell you what it's about. But... Joining us at the midpoint of the show is going to be the writer, director, and editor of the film, Jason R. Miller. And I am no stranger to Jason's work, and for some of you out there, neither are you. Uh, if you're fans of Hatchet, if you're fans of a film that blew me away at L.A. Film Festival 2016, Beyond the Gates. Um, so, just very, very excited that Jason's going to join us. But first, I am... I am beyond thrilled to welcome one of the great heartthrobs of daytime TV. Perry Shen is with us on Behind the Lens. Hey there. Hey, Perry. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm very happy to be speaking with you. It is, Thank you. It is always a joy to talk to anybody from the GH family. Um, I, I've been watching since day one. 59 years ago. Oh, wow. Nice. So. <laughs> there, are, there are a lot there, that, that are surprisingly. There are a lot. And, uh, you know, I know many, I over the years I've known many of the cast, and it was a running joke for a long time. I think Finn has heard this, has heard the story. I know Tyler Christopher, Tyler knew the story and just busted a gut. But years ago, my grandmother was such a devotee of, of GH that she actually walked into her doctor's office and said, I know I have this because Jesse on General Hospital has it. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, and congratulations to you, 10 years on the show now. Yes, starting it, yes. I just finished year nine, so it's starting year 10, you know. And of course, here you are, the show just year 59. So you're part of that. Hopefully you're going to be around for year 60. Yeah, I, I just joined them just as they were celebrating uh, 50. So yeah. I kind of missed the, <laughs> the celebrations. But you, uh, you are such an integral part of General Hospital. And, of course, we're going to talk about your new film, Madeline's, too. But let, let, we have to get GH out of the way for all your loyal followers uh, okay. and listeners. But, you know, Brad Cooper... And what I love about the film Madeline's is so much of what I see you bring to Brad on GH is also in your character of Owen mm -hmm. uh, in Madeline's. And I just love that, which is why I think General Hospital fans and your fans are going to love Madeline's, period. Yeah, I mean, I try to always uh, infuse a little uh, comedy to, in, in any of the moments. I like to find those those moments that 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 work and uh with madeline's uh the director wanted it have a more comedic kind of like a dark comedy spin so i was able to kind of let loose a little bit more so on madeline's so yeah you definitely will, will see you know aspects of you know the humor there and you have the best facial expressions and you know some of them we've seen before you know, on GH is Brad. When Brad gets caught doing something, when Brad, when, you know, Britt tells Brad, no, I can't, this is all I can do for you, and you make a great face. Or when you have a yeah, panic they, face. Yeah, I mean, because with soaps, I mean, you, we have that, it's all these little vignettes, and it cuts to the, to the next storyline, and it cuts. So, you know, instead of just having the same kind of, you know, 
soap opera stare. <laughs> you know, it, it's fun to be able to to use that uh, for other things. You know, if, if it's appropriate. And and you do it so well, Perry. So well. And we really, with the whole Cyrus Renault storyline on GH, we really got to see when you were brought in. There you are, poor Brad in Pentonville. Um, but then he's doing some bidding for his mob boss, Aunt Selena. And yeah. to see your face, the, your face after what you did or attempted to do um, right. was just, it was priceless. It was like oh, you, look, you look like you were going to the gas chamber yourself. Right. Yeah. Uh, it just get out of it, and then you know she brings her, him back into <laughs> his, his misdeeds. He's like, I'm just trying. You know, well, get out of this. And now here's poor Brad, and he wants a job at the hospital again. Britt has found him a good one. Terry would approve it, and now Aunt Selena wants him back running a poker game. Yeah, yeah, she's she's she has some plans for him. We don't know what. So um, you know, I, I'm I'm sure. <laughs> They're not on the up and up. <laughs> you know, your journey as Brad has has really given you a chance to showcase yourself as an actor. Because up until General Hospital, yes, you have the distinction of like you've been in all three Hatchet movies and played a different character in each one of the films. You voice video games. You had one-offs or you, you showed up, you're in Surrogate Valentine, written and directed by my friend Dave Boyle. Uh, a lot of TV one-offs. I remember when you did Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, but, you know, you'd pop in in a lot of those. Buffy, uh, True Calling. You actually had, you were on a few episodes. It wasn't just a one-off. But it was... Yeah, it was a, it was a recurring character, and then they canceled us before we even aired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, that's the breaks of the game. But yeah. it's with, thanks to Brad... That has really gotten you front and center with it people. It, it's, it's been lovely to ha- be able to have a character that spans years to be able to kind of have that uh, an arc, you know, uh, which with episodic television, you know, the ones that the kind of what I was on was kind of, as you said, kind of like a guest star or maybe a three-episode arc, and, you know, it, it's kind of very short. Yeah, you know, and even stepping into films like Surrogate Valentine or... You know, a small part in Swing State or the new guy. Um, you're in, you're out. Right. But, you know, it's what I have loved is watching you grow as an actor over the past 10 years on General Hospital. Um, I can go back and, you know, on YouTube and look at old clips of you, old performances from 10 years ago, and look at you now. And your growth is visible as an actor and the amount of emotion that you have brought into the character and into your performance skills is fabulous to see, Perry. Oh, thank you, Debbie. It means a lot. Um, and that's what I love so much about this film, Madeline's, because this is really, it's you and Brea's film to lose. It's <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it's, it's only three actors in the movie. So it's you and Brea, Brea, who I also know, um, uh, she directed Night Shift, and then she was also in Beyond the Gates. Um, and then Richard Riley, uh, Ryle, we've known each other for uh, over 35 years. Oh, wow. So yeah. to see you guys all come together, this film, because of each one of the, the four main people involved here, Jason, Brea, Richard and you, I am just so tickled with this film and was so happy to see how good it is. And you really get to shine here. And the way you and Brad play off of each other is hilarious. It's yeah, a, it's, yeah, we hadn't met each other, but I mean, we have a lot of friends in common and actors in common. And uh, I've been always wanted to, to work with her because she, she's is great. I, everything. She's hilarious. Did you see her film Night Shift that she dir- co-directed? Uh, yeah, I have. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just... <laughs> you can't help but laugh at that film. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's great. But, you know... Yeah, she's so talented. How did this script come to you for Madeline's? Uh, the, uh, Jason and Bria had, had written it, and 
uh, they just he told me the the concept of it, and I was like, that sounds fascinating because I love time anything time travel related, and uh, he he he. He was kind of gauging my interest, and he says, "Would you like to do a kind of like a, a, a kind of like a informal table read, just to, so we can hear our words, um, you know, written by somebody else, so we're not in just this echo chamber that we think it's only good." And so, I kind of I didn't know it was kind of like basically I was basically auditioning, but I <laughs> thought it was I was just kind of doing a favor. And after I read it, uh, we did it a little table read. Uh, Jason pulled me aside and says, "Hey." So uh, do you want to do this? <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> so, so they tricked me into auditioning for it. Hey, but, you know, isn't that the best way, though? You don't have the nerves. You're not worried. You think you're just doing a favor for a friend. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because, yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of, you know, with, with, uh, with GH, kind of I got, I think I got the role because I, almost, I didn't think I would get it because I'm like, I don't know any of my friends who aren't in soap operas. So it's like when you don't care, it's kind of like you're free to kind of just do the Mm -hmm. work, you know. Well, and, you know, and I think what Jason did here with Madeline's was very smart because Owen is just, okay, he's nonchalant and everyday kind of guy. Um, if you had, I'm sure if you had known that you were auditioning, you might have tried to prep and think, okay, should I be a little, you know, nerdier more of a science guy i'm sure because those thoughts go into your head when you're prepping for an audition right absolutely and that's not who owen is at all yeah no he's definitely the 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 kind of you know he's the the eyes and the perspective of the audience yeah they were having to deal with this situation of creating this machine uh that you know you can go through time but then there's an error (laughs) <laughs> causes all these clones to come back every day on the same day for years and years, and you're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with all these people that are coming, you know, and it becomes very dark. <laughs> well, and I think everybody can understand a computer glitch, and here it's all because of a glitch essentially in the computer, in the coding, um, right. that causes, and the film is called Madeline's because it's Madeline that keeps coming back, and then poor Owen has to try and figure out what to do and it's no spoiler to really say that okay we can't have millions of madelines showing up gotta start eliminating madelines yes yes and Uh, not not necessarily the best idea but it's the only (laughs) thing that we can think of (laughs) what what i want to know is how you know you know how many how many were were, madelines were shoved in that one closet in the zip up uh blanket bags yeah, I think they were, we got in like maybe three or four. Did <laughs> because as I'm watching, and then all these little touches where Madeline is very much alive, and the real Madeline, not a clone Madeline, but the real Madeline and Owen, they're trying to figure out what's going on and how to control this Madeline outbreak until something untoward happens. But before we get to untoward, we've got a great montage in there, and you're reading great books. On you know executions and <laughs> yeah, fifty he's, he's fifty ways to, to kill homework, someone. You know, be as prepared as possible with how to you know uh, do it humanely, <laughs> effectively, you know, and streamline the process. Well, and this is where you really excel in this film, Perry, is with a lot of the elimination of a lot of Madelines. And the whole humane factor. It is hilarious. You build, you erect a little pop-up tent in the backyard. You're trying to use liquid nitrogen and gas. Yeah. And yeah. it is, you are so funny. But at the same time, we get the gravitas of a sci-fi adventure. Right, yeah. It's, it's I think, you, you, in this case, I mean, it's the, the humor that has to balance out the horrific nature of what's mm-hmm. going on. So that's why it's, it is, a, you know, it's not a comedy. It is a, essentially a dark comedy in every sense of the word, you know, um, because it's, it, otherwise it becomes a very different <laughs> movie, you know. <laughs> yeah, what was, because, I mean, this is, this is essentially, this could be done on stage, actually. This could be a stage mm. production with right. just three characters, 
Three yeah. characters, yeah. and essentially you've got the backyard, you've got the garage oh, lab, yeah. a quick bedroom scene, and then Richard's mm-hmm. character of Rory Devonshire, his living room. That's it. That's all you got Yeah. Uh, for That's location. It. But it's just yeah. the three of you. Um, you know, what is that like for you? Because, yes, you're used to having a scene partner in soaps. For the most part, over the years, you've been focused on one or two primary scene partners. Right. Um, you know, and the one everybody loves the most, obviously, is the pairing of Brad and Britt. Mm-hmm. Um, which, and I can't wait to see some drunken antics from both of them. Just getting that out there. <laughs> but, so what is that, what is this experience like on, obviously, a low-budget, no-budget, micro-budget film? Um, right. Just working, the three of you, and it's primarily, it's really you and Brea for, I'd say, 90% of the film. Right, yeah. Um, it was actually very similar in the fact of the, the, the speed that we had to go at because we didn't have a lot of time um, to, to do things over and over again because we had to keep moving on and shooting pages. So the speed was very similar to what I, I do on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's, that, that's, but, yeah it's, it's, uh, it's, it is strange when you kind of like take a step back and I've never done a film with so few, you know, actors uh, <laughs> in the production, and you know, you know, usually there's even background. I mean, we had, you know, in a in a in a scene in a restaurant at Kelly's or something like that. There's even more, just you know, background actors yeah. than there are, you know. So uh, that was strange, but it, but I mean, that's it goes to show the testament of Bria and and Jason and coming up with something that was is, was cost-effective but also didn't seem strange because they couldn't be hanging around with a lot of people and with doing the things that they're doing. They had to keep things very quiet, so they're sequestered. So it makes sense that there aren't many other people that are interacting with them. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you know, there's a lot of technology that we see on screen in the garage lab. I mean, in a sense, you, you're like the 21st century version of Doc Brown playing around in the garage mm-hmm. lab. Um, now, was there actual equipment there, or did Jason bring in a lot of this through VFX afterwards? Because he is truly very skilled and excels at VFX. Right, yeah, and he, he's kind of, he's very, um, he's not just good at one or a couple of things, he's good at many things, so mm-hmm. he... He went to the the kind of the uh, I think a, a parts place that sold like you know airplane parts for like scrap, and he kind of like gathered a whole bunch <laughs> of things that looked visually interesting. He assembled it together, so he was kind of like the set designer. And then what wasn't I mean all of it didn't work, so he had to then use his you know um, computer graphics knowledge and and uh, to put all those graphics and and all that kind of stuff to to make it look functional. So yeah. So you at least had stuff that you could physically, you had that tactile experience. You didn't have to imagine. It's not like there was a tennis ball sitting there and you had to pretend it was a computer monitor. Yeah, it wasn't all green screen or anything like that. It was practical effects mixed with visual. Now, you mentioned green screen. Have you done anything green screen? Oh, yes. All all the video games that I do when I do motion capture. Yeah. You actually get to do them green screen. Oh yeah, it's, it's there's nothing there just besides like maybe some boxes to sit on if you're sitting on a chair and things like that. So it's all uh, a huge volume of green screens and like 40 cameras surrounding you. So all of these video games that you do, it, it's not you're just going into a booth and voicing. You are actually doing mocap for them. Sometimes it's it's it's, it's it depends on what the production is looking for, and mm-hmm. sometimes they want the the actual actor to do the mocap, and and sometimes just the voice. So it's kind of like, it, it's it's different every time. Now, you know what your career, you're not pigeonholing yourself into anything, and that's what I one one of the things I love. I mean, do you like the diversity of the career you're building for yourself, the trajectory I do. I that you're taking? I just went to a convention um, last week, and I was kind of like selling like photos of like projects that I've been in and I just kind of like step back I'm like wow I've done the horror movies 
the soaps, the video games. I just narrated uh, a Goosebumps book and, <laughs> and, and, and done animation. And I'm like, wow, I, it's kind of like, uh, I was like, I was like, I'm becoming like the James Hong. Because like James Hong has like this huge, oh. he's like hit everything. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. From your lips to God's ears that you have a career that spans that. I mean, oh my God. But you know, you're right. Um, you know, now are you, do, have you developed a fondness for one thing over the other yet? Because this whole uh, thing, stepping into Madeline's, this is a new thing for you to be front and center and leading a film. Right. Yeah. I did one for the the most recent hatchet. I was the lead actor right. in that, uh, Victor Crowley, uh, just because everyone in the previous three films had died. So I got to be fr- front and front and center because of deathocracy, not necessarily meritocracy, <laughs> I say. And uh, so, yeah, those are always fun. To, and Better Luck Tomorrow, I was the lead actor in that. Um, but those are, it, it's 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 funny to say, you know, yeah, of course I like being the, the lead actor, but it it's kind of a different experience when you're having to kind of like the narrative of the whole movie kind of rests on you and your, your, your fellow, you know, leads, um, shoulders, you know, and it's like, it's a, it's not, you're just not coming in for a little bit and popping in. It's kind of like you need to move the narrative and, and sort of look at the whole overall arc. So yeah, it's, 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 it's wonderfully uh, more challenging. Mm-hmm. Now, with this, because it's primarily just you and Brea, and she was a co-writer, you know, was there any preciousness of the words? Did you guys get to ad-lib? How structured and scripted was this? Yeah, they're, they're, they weren't precious with their words at all. They're just to, to make sure the, you know, the, the what that scene was trying to convey as long as that happened there, but they were both very open to... Um, tweaking things on the fly. If something, you know, uh, we had a better idea for a different take, um, they're very open to that. So that was great so that you're not feeling stifled and, and you know, afraid to, to speak up. So those are the most wonderful sets to be on, and that's what this was. Mm-hmm. Now, did you get any real rehearsal time with this, or was it run and gun? We had a the luxury of having a week of rehearsal, just kind of running through all the scenes a couple times just to see how it'd be like so that once it came was go time, uh, we didn't waste any time trying to find our way. We kind of already had an idea of what it would be like. Okay, now you've just made all actors out there who do the low-budget, no-budget, micro-budget films, you've just made them very jealous because you had a week to rehearse. And so often... There is not even a week for rehearsal. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically, I think if you can, yeah, it's, yeah, depending on schedules and stuff like that. But, yeah. again, we only had to have, make sure three schedules were free. Yeah. And, and the director, right? So, uh, yeah, so it, it is uh, it is rare that that happens. So, yeah, no, we were, they had, they had planned it out as much as they could for what we had and, and uh, made the most of it. So, um, yeah, it was, it, it was a very efficient project, mm-hmm. even now, though it was a low-budget project. Now, how does that compare with working on General Hospital in terms of the luxury, because of the sheer volume of pages that you're shooting in a mm-hmm. soap? You know, do you get any quality rehearsal time, or is everybody so in tune with their characters at this point? It's like, yeah, throw them all on set and, and go. Uh, at a, for a certain point, yes. Um, but we do have one quick rehearsal in terms of just the director telling us the blocking yeah. in the beginning in the morning. So that's one. And then right before we, we roll, um, the, the cameras need to see what we're doing. And that's the second rehearsal. So anything extra, the actors in between those times have to either find their fellow actor and just run lines. Um, and that, that's it. Pretty much. Uh, sometimes when I, when when I had like a lot of stuff, and I needed even more than that, like with when I was uh, working with Ryan Carnes as Lucas, mm-hmm. many many times we would meet on our own and just like take a couple hours just to do some of those heavy dialogue scenes to make sure we got the pace and the timing right, and those helped out a lot, you know. And 
Uh, a couple of times, Will DeVry and I would call each other, and we'd just run the lines over the phone before we would shoot the next day. So sometimes you need some more, um, but it, it's it's rare. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, you know, I just can't believe, you know, Madeline's, it is so fun. It's so cohesive. It's streamlined. You and Brea have an incredible chemistry on screen. No matter which, no matter which Brea we're looking at on screen, you know. Now, now this this is an interesting part of this film because we have many, 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 many Madelines that you are interacting with. Um, yes. Did and, you and have Bria to? Brea does a great job. In, in oh my God! All very distinctive and different. How did that confuse you? <laughs> it, it didn't. She did such a good job because they they and and D- Jason designed them so that they eat, their hairstyles were a little bit different. Yeah, um, slightly different. And um, Bria gave them all different personalities. And the fact that we shot it, we had the luxury of shooting it um, pretty much chronologically in order. So oh, that thank God. We weren't. If it was jumping around, it would it would have <sighs> confused me for sure. But it logically made sense as of what was unfolding. Oh, my God. Yeah, because it, it's like, you know, thanks to the costume, thanks to the hair. But as I'm watching the film, I kept thinking, oh, my God, he must have been going crazy trying to remember. Is this Madeline 51? Is right. the, You know, who is it? And so easily one Madeline could impersonate another one if they wanted to achieve an ulterior motive. Yes, and there is a moment in yes. the movie of that. <laughs> yes, there is. There's a lot of subterfuge happening in here with the Madelines. I mean, poor Owen. He's he's out Madeline in this film. Yes, yes. You know, so now at this stage of your career, Perry, obviously you got to stay on GH. Definitely through your 60s so you can be a part of that oh, yeah. celebration. But because Brad is such an interesting character and where he his next trajectory i can't wait to see and i know that frank won't let you say anything so i'm not even going to ask you (laughs) what's next for brad i know how this works um but what are you looking for at this stage of your career because being on the soap you because brad is intermittent when he pops up it gives you the luxury of being able to do a film like madeline's to do the voice work in the video games that you do and to hopefully pick up some other stuff so what are you right. looking for at this stage of your career? Where do you want to, is there something in particular? You want to get out there as a song and dance man, a la Jimmy Cagney or something? Um, you know, what do you want? Um, I have not done any action, any action movies. That would be fun to do. I could see you very easily doing an action movie, especially after watching Owen's training for defeating <laughs> Madeline's. You know, right. you wield a knife, you wield a long handle axe, you wield a small axe. You do very well with weaponry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, can, I can definitely see you. I could see you and Kenny Lou partnering up in something. Mm. I could easily see that in an action film. But, ah, but, and everybody can now see Madeline's. It's out now. Yes, and wherever, wherever uh, you can get streaming, um, uh, video on demand, uh, we're, we're available. Wow. So what's next for you? Anything else on your plate right now or just back to the grind to entertain us as Brad yeah, and see what trouble he gets into? Brad, um, I have a few projects on Netflix that... I can't talk about, but they're both animated projects, and they're both pretty big. Uh, so I'm excited to have those revealed, but I, I've, I've been working the past two years on them. <laughs> well, and, you know, animated voice projects during a pandemic work really well. Absolutely, yeah. That, that's kind of like the work never stopped with um, voiceovers in that respect. Oh, uh, well, I can't wait to see them. I mean, Perry, this has been such a privilege to have you on the show. Uh, oh, thank you, Debbie. It's to, great talking to you. To add you to the General Hospital collection of Behind the Lens, uh, <laughs> I hope you'll come back on the show, especially with these Netflix projects. Yes, Once definitely. they come out. I would love to have you back on the show to talk about them. And, you know, thank you, thank you so much. And 
I'm going to kick you off because your boss is on the other line. Yes. <laughs> Perry, <laughs> Shen, thank you so much, and thank I can't you. wait till the next time. Me too. All right. Thanks, Perry. Be well. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye-bye. And that was Perry Shen. You know and love him as Brad Cooper on General Hospital. You're going to know and love him as Owen in Madeline's. And now, the man behind Madeline's, Jason R. Miller. Hello, Jason. Hi, how are you? I'm so happy to have you on the show. I Thanks can't... for having me. I appreciate it. I am thrilled. I'm, I've already been a fan of your work for a long time. Um, well, thank you. Thanks to your VFX work for Jackson on Beyond the Gates. Uh, oh, yes. One of my diehard, I love to death, must-see festival films at L.A. Film Festival in 2016 um, with Barbara and Brea. Uh, and then, of course, Brea, I've known, I, I adore her and what she did uh, with Night Shift most recently. And now the two of you have put your, your evil little minds together to come up with Madeline's and... Oh, my God. Jason, this film is so fun. I am crazy about this film. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. We, we worked really hard on it, and, um, you know, I feel like it, it, it at least shows that we, you know, we love the material. It, it really comes through that you do. Um, and what's really interesting, this is your, what, second or third feature that you're directing. You've got you know, strong background in visual effects, which does come into play with this film. Uh, you've also worked on some of my favorite, the entire Hatchet trilogy you've worked on, the Barons you've worked on. Um, you know, I know your work. I love your work. Um, so well, to thank s- you. <laughs> so to see Madeline's is, ju- I knew going in, it had, th- there had to be something good here, and there's more than something good. There's a lot good. But I've got to ask you, where did the idea for this story originate? It's one thing to do time travel, but then it's another to incorporate, okay, what everybody hates, computer glitches, data glitches. Everybody can relate to it. And then kind of sort of an alternate reality and universe of Madeline's that keeps yeah, infiltrating. Um... This, is, this is so creative. Where? Did you come up with this over breakfast reading a cereal box? I mean, where did this start? <laughs> well, I mean, it started when I was a kid. I mean, I love sci-fi is like, you know, top. Like Star Wars is obviously what I grew up with. Um, but, you know, one of my favorite movies is Back to the Future. And um, I love all time travel movies. And I was at a point where I was looking to focus more on sci-fi than horror because I had you know, produced all the hatchet movies and that was kind of where I was and I wanted to move away from that. Um, so I was just writing this short, uh, film that I was going to shoot in my backyard. And, um, I kind of put it on the shelf because uh, another project came up, came up and Bria Grant and I were writing a, we were in development on this script that we wrote for it was over a year and it was like a um it was another sci-fi uh uh, script and we just weren't happy with the development process that we were going through so we kind of stopped that and we were a little like you know we're like oh we wish we could you know make something ourselves on our own and i remembered this script i had and i i kind of i sent it to bria and i was like what do you think if we do this um but change it up a little because the script was actually super dark Mm-hmm. It was like a very dark version of Madeline's. Um, and she, uh, you know, she read it and she's like, oh, yeah, this is what we need to do. And, um, you know, she she actually wrote the first draft in like a weekend. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then we, you know, we had a few meetings and we would like work out the details of, you know, how the time travel worked and this and that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then we were off and running. We, we sent it to the first producer that we reached out to, and he agreed to work on it, Ed Doherty. So that was awesome. And we were, we were ready to go. Wow. That's, that's pretty quick. That, that's, yeah, it was almost too quick. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's when you start wondering, uh-oh, you know, when, <laughs> when's the other shoe going to drop? Um, yeah, Exactly. You know, now, as you were creating this, because obviously visuals are very important here. 
There and you know you kept your locations very limited. Did you shoot this during lockdown? We actually we didn't. We shot it before lockdown, but we did all of post during lockdown. So uh, COVID affected us, but not during production. Right which is good. You know, and I ask it because of the fact you have your locations minimal, as I said to Perry, you've got a backyard, you've got a garage lab, you have, I think, two or three, you know, corner of a bedroom scene, and you've got Richard's character, Rory, his living room with a Christmas tree. Um, that's it. Yeah. And it's the perfect kind of setup if you were shooting during lockdown. You know, minimal yeah. locations. <laughs> And minimal people. I mean, luckily, lockdown and low budget are go hand in oh. hand. So uh, we were low budget. And, yeah, we just we wrote it for what we had available so that we could maximize, you know. We didn't have to worry about location and stuff like that because we just worked it out in the scripts while we were writing. Well, and the fact that, you know, it's a three-hander. As I mentioned to Perry, I mean, I could see this being done on stage. Mm. With the limited locations, yeah, sure. with, the lim- with three cast. This could very easily be translated to the stage and just rely on some really cool set design, you know, in a stage production. But, you know, three people. Obviously, you got Brea, who's going to be in it as Madeline. Um, But then, and I know you've worked with Perry before, but what led you to think of him to play Owen? And then, of course, the dear, dear Richard, Richard Ryle, um, we've known each other over 30 years. So <laughs> to see all three of these people uh, in the film it just thrilled me to no end. But what led you to Perry and to Richard for this film? Um, yeah, so obviously Bria, was, I was writing it with Bria, so she was in it from the start. Of course. You know, we kind of worked it around her. And then um, we knew that we needed a leading man for Owen. And... Bria actually was like, well, what about Perry Shen? And my first reaction was, no way, because <laughs> I work with him on everything. <laughs> he was in my last movie. He, was, he produced the one before that. He was, yeah. He's my friend. You know, I see him all the time. I don't want to get pigeonholed into that, I'm working with the same actor over and over again. It was nothing against Perry. It was just like my own like, you know, complex that I was going through. Yeah. And she's like, no, I want to work with Perry. I have a crush on Perry. He's going to be great. The chemistry is going to be good. And I was like, okay, okay. So we, uh, we brought him in and we, uh, you know, just to make sure everything was, you know, copacetic with Bria and Perry. And they hit it off. And it was surprising that they hadn't known each other before that because we travel in the same kind of friend group. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, they hit it off really well. And uh, I never told Perry that story. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so that's how Perry came to be. And I knew he could, you know, I knew he would do great. Yeah. Because, I, you know, I work with him all the time. And then Richard, um, we, we wanted a, you know, father-like figure that's kind of overseeing the project. And, um, you know, I love Richard. From the second I met him on Hatchet, I, you know, I was like, I need him in everything that I mm-hmm. work on. Um, and, and he's also, like, just the person in the world. So... I called him up and I said, we have this little movie and we would love to have you for a few days. And he's like, oh, yeah, let me check my schedule. And, uh, and then he showed up and he's like, I brought my own clothes, you know, whatever you need. <laughs> and he's just like not, never an issue ever. He's always like overly prepared and, you know, he's just like a pleasure to work with. Yeah. So, of course, I would, you know, love working with him. And so. Look at that. That's, that's half your battle. <laughs> you've got a cast. You've got people you love in the cast. Well, you might as well just, you know, wash your hands and go home. Just let them do it. <laughs> exactly. You know, well, that's ha- the good thing about actors like this. You can, you know, you give your direction initially, and then you just let them do their thing, and usually their instincts are the right instincts. Well, you know, when you get your cast in place. Now, as you were writing this, uh, I'm curious, because there are a lot of visual effects here, but also, you've got to have some really sharp editing here. And I'm curious about you wearing your hats as writer, co-writer, director, and editor. Because you're going back and forth with multiple Madelines, things like that. Were you thinking this process through as you were filming? Did you wait till you had everything in the can and then start working in the Madelines um, in the post-process? 
talk to me about this because this, you know, you've got at one point in the living room, you've got what, 25 Madelines in there? (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's a lot in there. Yeah. (laughs) Walk me through this, Jason. Well, the good thing is like writing and editing go hand in hand, right? So usually, you, you know, you write your script first and then you get a chance to rewrite it while you're editing. And uh, for me, I was editing while we were shooting, which I, I knew would come in handy because of the way we were shooting and how quick we needed to get things done. And okay. um, if we needed to get a pickup of something or reshoot something, I knew that editing along the way would help us, you know, maximize our budget that way. Um, so what I was doing was, and because I'm a visual effects artist, I was doing these little, like, you know, uh, quick comps to make sure things were working properly. And so, uh, yeah, there's a version of this movie with very sloppy, uh, you know, uh, takes of Madeline's, a bunch of Madeline's in the same room, and none of them are, you know, lined up or tracked into the shot. <laughs> but you get a feeling of what their, uh, their conversation is together and how that works. So, yeah, it definitely helps to be an editor and director and writer. Wow. I don't recommend it. It's very hard. Well, especially here, because of the fact you're editing images of Brea as Madeline in different costume and different hair, and it's like you had to be going (laughs) stir-crazy. Layering in. I watched, I stared at her a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And not in a creepy way. Let's just clarify that. Not in a creepy way. (laughs) But no, Bria's like my sister. <laughs> you know, this I've got to talk to you about your DP about Ken Whiting. Um, lots of shorts experience. Bring him in here. Um, you know, you've got nice shot. You've got some nice overhead, some drone shots in the backyard. You've got some nice montages put together with Perry training how to eliminate Madeline's. Which, that's hilarious. I have to tell you. <laughs> Watching that with him with knives and long-handled axes, it's just to die for, especially if you know him, <laughs> you know, as Brad Cooper on General Hospital and the antics right. that Brad always gets into. That's why I said at the top of the show, General Hospital fans are going to love seeing Perry in this film. <laughs> Hands down. That's great. No doubt about it. Um, you should get a, bi- a big General Hospital contingent of fans should be watching this film. But yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, but you know, Ken, your desert scene. I'm really curious. Did you actually go to the desert to shoot any of that? Because it's such a, a stark contrast to what you're doing internally. And I have to say, shooting in the camper, some of those are beautiful. You've got some beautiful lighting, some beautiful texture. Um, working. Talk to me about working with Ken and designing your visual tonal bandwidth here yeah so ken i've known ken he's been a gaffer on uh films that i produced in the past mm-hmm. and um you know we just became friends and i i knew he wanted to be a uh, director of photography at some point so this i think is his first feature um as dp but he always saved our butts when we were you know lighting something and he would always like come up with like the the best way to light something um, and I, I took note of that, and I knew that you know we needed that for this film because we were running gun kind of mm-hmm. production. So yeah, so Ken, uh, his lighting is number one, and uh, yeah, those camper scenes were very beautiful, yeah. beautifully lit. And the funny thing about those camper scenes is we shot in the actual camper, and the camper is very small. And Ken is like a huge dude. He's like you know <laughs> six four. Oh God, he's like very big, <laughs> and. Uh, and so, like, basically, it was just him inside the camper, and he tried to light everything from outside as much as possible. So it was uh, Ken, Perry, and Bria all in the, all crammed in the camper. Um, and that was a, you know, funny behind-the-scenes moment for everyone, uh, especially the time that the camper kind of fell over a little bit because there was too many people in it. Um, <laughs> not in a dangerous way, just in a little little bit of a rocking a, way. A little tippy. Everyone's freaking yeah. out. Oh, my yeah. God. Um, so that was fun. And then for the desert stuff, you know, that was always written in the script that the, you know, the future would be based in a nomad's land, which is kind of creating the, the universe as it's, you know, as time is going through. Mm-hmm. Um, so the desert was, you know, we went up to, I believe it was Lancaster and um, 
we just found a really cool like mountain area and just shot for two days there and uh, got as much as possible. Well, and I have to, I have to say, the way you have super saturated the desert sequences and really heightened the yellow and the and a sunny yellow against the texture of the mountains. Um, and then you've got some effects with the sides kind of mirroring out, wavering out. Really stunning. It, it, yeah, my, my idea was to have it feel like the camera had gone through time, too, and it, it's, like, kind of messed up. So that was, like, just, like, a, an idea I had that I think came together. It kind of makes the desert look a little airy, you know, a little otherworldly. Yeah, and I think it looks beautiful. And with that saturation, oh, my God, absolutely. I loved, I loved, especially the final shot in the desert um, mm. is just gorgeous. And But then you contrast that. I'm glad you mentioned the camper was lit from the outside, and you really, it's really beautiful, that small window at the back of the camper where Ken lit behind that. Yes. So it gives you a nice texture with the window covering and the light that's coming in the filtered light coming in through there um, that works really well. And the bedroom scenes with the blues and the purples, which is really so different than the other colors in the film. It's the one place of quote unquote calm, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then contrasted with the lab there again, very claustrophobic, very tiny spot. Did you pick the smallest space as possible, Jason? <laughs> uh, that's yeah. That's unfortunately one of the side effects of you know having limited funds. Is <laughs> we were shooting in real rooms and not sets. Um, and yeah, so the all the interiors of the house were done at the producer. The producer Ed Doherty had rented a house uh, for his office, and it was just like a two-bedroom small house. Mm-hmm. And the lab is actually one of the rooms in that house. Okay. So the lab interior is one of those rooms. And then for the exteriors, we shot at um, Bria's old house. <laughs> so I kind of did, I had, I kind of went as far as I could to try to like make the audience aware of the location of everything. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that worked because we kept it simple. You, you really did. You felt like the yard and the lab, you really felt like the lab was in the garage you know, in the backyard. Um, and then the distinction, you know, getting some of the, Ken got some really, really pretty shots in what is Rory's house uh, with the Christmas tree and, you know, shooting down like a fly on the wall in the ceiling, shooting down to give that POV perspective of him back in the chair and, you know, there's the tree. And there was something that kind of, felt creepy about it that it looks very idyllic and perfect when everything that's happening that Owen and Madeline are doing is anything but perfect so yeah it's funny you point that shot out because um so that location was actually Ed Doherty's uh his condo that he lives in Mm -hmm. and he has this loft area above you know his main living area and Ken just kind of walked up there and was like hey this looks kind of cool it does and uh yeah, and I was like, oh, we have to shoot from up here. It totally, like, you know, it shows the span. So it's finally a way we can show a bigger room, you know. And, uh, yeah, like you said, it's a kind of a creepy, you know, uh, peeping Tom view. Yeah, but it works, especially when you, you look at the rest of when Richard pops up, when the character of Rory pops up or just shows up at the front door wanting to know, okay, what's going on with the Devonshire since this yeah. time machine has to be named after him. Uh, what's going on with the Devonshire? Oh, my God, it's broken. Can you fix it? Uh, it's, it's, it's What Richard brings to that role is hilarious. But you see you, that Christmas tree shot from the loft and that kind of dialogue, it really adds another layer of creep factor here. It's very creepy. There is something beyond experimenting with time travel and the chicken and the egg the chicken and the egg thing is so cool i gotta tell you i gotta i gotta tell you 
And I know all that's your visual effects and what you're doing when apples disappear and eggs disappear and you have a little bit of like vampire glitter happening in the air. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, but you have a lot of layers here, nuanced layers, Jason, that add different elements and just build upon the sci-fi aspect. And I love it. I really love Thank it. Thank you. I, I appreciate that you uh, took you know, detail note when you're watching it. I appreciate that a lot. So I want to hear more about how you created this lab. Perry divulged that, okay, you went and bought a lot of old, like crappy part, electronic parts and things. He said, I don't know, maybe air, airplane parts. I don't know. Uh, and you put all these things together to create this Devonshire and to create the lab. Um, talk to me about this because it, this was a great, situation and scenario where nobody had to work uh, opposite green screen. There wasn't a tennis ball sitting there to pretend that there was a device. Um, there was actually something that the actors could work with and see. So, and yeah. I, I heard you get all the credit for that. <laughs> well, so my idea for this film is just kind of, I wanted to make like an 80s movie. I wanted to make a movie that felt like it was filmed in the 80s and like that mentality and that like science. Um, and, you know, all those movies have physical devices that you, you know, can touch and yeah. interact with. And um, so I took it upon myself to actually build the, the time machine. I had no idea what I was doing, but I went to this, um, in Burbank, California, there's like this computer, like graveyard where you can just kind of pick through things and like grab like transistors and motherboards and stuff like that. And I just kind of picked the coolest stuff and uh, put it together. And uh, I had an idea of what I wanted, but, you know, um, it all kind of came together in this cool, like, low, lo-fi version of the time machine. And um, I kind of, you know, I, th I think it looks pretty cool. And then I went to um, a friend of mine um, that are makeup effects artists, Josh and Sierra Russell, and I asked them if they would help me figure out the wearable version of the time machine. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had like an image in my head and I showed them like this concept art that I found online of um, the mask and we just kind of 80s-ified it. We made it look <laughs> like it was from the 80s. And that's kind of that was kind of the aesthetic that we were going for the whole time. Well, I think you definitely achieved that. Now, you mentioned the 80s aesthetic, the 80s vibe. Okay, now I know you use Leicas as your lensing, as your lenses here. Uh, do, were they anamorphs that you used? They weren't anamorphic. They were um, actually vintage lenses, so they're spherical, but they okay. were vintage because they had a very cool flare effect mm -hmm. that they that Ken like really loved. So yeah, we chose to go with a vintage lens. Yeah, and I'm glad you did. And that flare effect um, with the spherical Leicas, it really bodes well for a sci-fi film. For a film like this and also a film that is so claustrophobic. And it's not that this film is claustrophobic, but it you get the focus. The focus of our two scientists, of Owen and Madeline, is what it, it all really conveys. And that, that, that flair works well with Thank that. You. Yeah, I wanted to keep it simple. Like I was saying, like an 80s film that feels simple. And I feel like if we had all this crazy, elaborate, like, steady cam work or you know, uh, you know, artistic shots for no reason. It's, it takes away from, you know, what I was trying to achieve. Well, and it would have taken away from the fact that we've got two scientists who are working in a lab in their garage. So <laughs> yeah. you get, do you get too fancy? It's going to belie a single man financing them and they're working in their garage. Exactly. Yeah, you don't want it, the film to stand out for something that you're not trying to have it stand out for. Yeah. You know, um, interesting music. We get some really sci-fi kind of notes in here. What were you looking for with Matt Akers with the music um, that you brought in? Did you have yeah. original composition or did you pull in some of the, you know, the standard temp kind of royalty-free stuff? What were you doing with the music? Because I really like how it fits the vibe. Yeah, so Matt... Um I, when I discussed the, the music with Ed, Ed uh, Doherty, our producer, I didn't have anyone in mind to do the score. 
and I, all I said was I want a synth score that you know feels like the 80s. And Ed's like, I got the perfect guy. I just worked with him on another project. His name's Ed. I mean, his name's Matt. And, um, and so he introduced us, and um, I looked at his previous work, and he did a lot of, like, he would rescore these random horror movies mm-hmm. with the synth, synth score, and that kind of got him a bit of fame online. And, um, and I loved it. And so I kind of just let him watch the movie, and I said, just kind of, you know, show me something that you feel. And he came back with this amazing piece. And then because he hasn't done that many features, it was a chance for it to work very closely together. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and I never worked that closely with a composer before. So it was kind of cool to be able to, you know, plot out the different uh, areas where things will, you know, work out. And he didn't know how much, how much music to put to the feature. So I had to keep asking him to do a little more, a little more, a little more. Um, but at the end, he was like, this is the best score I've ever done. I'm so happy. Um, and I felt the same way. I was like, this is perfect for the movie. And uh, I just feel like it doesn't stand out per se, but it wasn't supposed to. It's supposed to feel mm-hmm. like it just emphasizes the, the parts that you needed to you know, emphasize. Yeah, and the creepy factor that we have. What was what was the final Madeline count here? Uh, one twenty-five. Wow. Yeah. One hundred twenty-five Madelines. Now, and now that begs the big question when it comes to a low-budget, no-budget, micro-budget, um, because Brea is playing all one hundred twenty-five. Um, do you get a paycheck for all one hundred twenty-five? <laughs> no, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, the, usually in a regular feature, you know, you have a few, you know, you have stand-ins and stunt doubles and all right. that. We had one stand-in, um, Sydney Steinberg, who's a comedian, and she's also one of Bria's closest friends, and she also has a similar body type and hairstyle. So uh, we asked her to, you know, hang out with us, and she was basically every other Madeline acting against Bria, and then for, you know, the ones that aren't interacting, we put C-stands up and then I, you know, replace them later. But, uh, but I was also able to keep a lot of uh, Sydney in the movie if her back was to the camera. Mm-hmm. So that saved us, that saved me a lot of time in post. You know, how long was your post, produ- your post on this one, Jason? Uh, it was probably a full year. Wow. Um, and, I would say it would, would have gone quicker if I had, uh, you know, a bigger team of people working with me. But because I knew I had to, I was editing and I was also leading the VFX. It just, I, I worked on the edit and then I'd move over to the VFX and then, you know, and then I'd send it off to color and sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually you have edit and VFX working at the same time. I kind of mm-hmm. just did them in that order. Mm-hmm. Well, and when you're so skilled at both. You can do that. You know. Although I don't recommend it. <laughs> so it's a lot of late nights. So now what are you looking for? Because you are so accomplished with visual effects, you know, producing, you know, now you're on your you know, third feature film. You know, what is it that you look for now for a project? Do you want to move more into directing? Um still be heavy you know heavy in producing what are you looking for at this stage of your career jason um that's a good question i mean i would love to uh shift my focus on to directing um it's just very hard because there's so many movies getting made all the time mm-hmm. and it's hard to uh stand out from the pack because i mean there's like hundreds of movies that are released every week yeah. so it's like you know, it's very hard. And um, luckily, I have a, a visual effects company that I own and that, uh, you know, pays my bills and, you know, gives me that production uh, fix that I need, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise I would only be pursuing directing. And um, I get to do fun VFX stuff on commercials and movies all the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, if given the opportunity, I I would focus more on directing and writing. And um I'm hoping that Madeline's will allow me to continue doing that in some mm-hmm. form. And 
any particular genre? Because you are so well known for the horror genre. Would you want to um, delve more into the sci-fi genre of Madeline's or the horror kind of genre like the Hatchet films? Any particular genre? Are you open to anything? I I mean, I love horror movies, but I've, I feel like I've... I've made enough horror movies as a producer and, you know, my first film was a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I think my, my passion is sci-fi. I think that's where I feel the most comfortable directing. And um, it's, you know, like I said, it's my passion. That's, that's what you have to be when you're an indie, indie filmmaker. You have to have the passion for the, the subject or else it just gets kind of brushed aside. Well, you definitely had a passion for Madeline's. I love this film. It is so much fun. I want to see more from you as a director. Oh, thank you. Um, I know your VFX work. I want to see more from you as a director. Um, and I can't wait for the next one. But right now, everybody can see Madeline's. It's on all, it's on all the digital platforms. Uh, VOD as well, right? Yes, it's on all VOD and rental and everything. Uh, Apple is probably the best way to get it, but if you're on cable, it's also there. Oh, I didn't check my Spectrum to see if it was there. My bad. I'm going to have to go and and look on Spectrum and see if it's there. That's always a gauge for me. Is it on Spectrum? Uh, (laughs) Before I tell people to go look on cable. Uh, But (laughs) Oh, Jason, this has been so wonderful to have you on the show. I've had Perry. I've had Brea on the show before. Richard, we've interviewed countless times, uh, as well as, you know, shared many many laughs behind the scenes uh as well and now i've had you on the show this is fabulous i can't thank you enough um i hope you'll come back yeah of course thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it uh and uh, is there anything you're working on now or getting ready to work on that i can look forward to Uh, i have a couple of things in development but uh, nothing i can announce unfortunately yet that's okay i'll wait (laughs) I'm patient. I'll wait. Jason, thank you so, so much. Uh, And hopefully we'll talk sooner rather than later. I hope so, too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jason. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Jason R. Miller, writer, director, editor, Madeline's. Huge thanks to Perry Shen. Thanks to Jason Miller. See Madeline's. You won't be disappointed. Uh, and all you General Hospital fans out there, definitely, you're going to love Perry in Madeline's as an, a scientist. Um, so that is all the time we have today. I do want to quickly mention before we go, um, my interview will be up later this week with Jim Piddock. Jim Piddock, you all know him. If you love Lethal Weapon, you know him from Lethal Weapon 2. He's the one that told Danny Glover's character of Roger Murtaugh he did not want to immigrate to South Africa because he's blick. So, Jim, you know him from Best of Show, from Lethal Weapon 2, Independence Day, countless other things. He's got a great book out called Caught With My Pants Down and Other Tales from a Life in Hollywood. The book is fabulous. It interweaves stories about his life, about Many people that we know, uh, A-list people, B-list people, and he's very candid about a lot of them. I spoke with him for a long time. I'm working on the edit of that interview now. We might air it here on Behind the Lens. Otherwise, it will be up later this week on BehindTheLensOnline.net on the website. But get the book. The book is so good, and all the proceeds from the book go to three specific charities, uh, including uh, the BAFTA's Us Access for All for local community, uh, pr- community programs that help underprivileged students in American high schools. The Crystal Palace Football Club's Palace for Life Foundation works with children in South London uh, to help them with healthy, positive, and safe choices. And then the third one is for relief efforts in Ukraine. So, Caught With My Pants Down by Jim Piddock. You will not regret buying this book. It is really, it's a good time. Over 40 years of stories of Jim's days in Hollywood and Broadway. 
So that is all the time we have today. We'll be back next week. I'm waiting for confirmation. Emmy season is upon us. We're starting some Emmy interviews. So stay tuned. Come back next week. Until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.